We are continuing our summer series through the book of Psalms. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 87. And Psalm 87 is a short psalm. It's only seven uh, verses. And the title of the psalm states that it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's a song. Like the other psalms, it's uh, meant to be sung. And I'm not too creative with coming up with uh, titles for sermons or messages. And when you're not creative, you just look into your Bibles. And many times they have a great title for your message or for your Sunday school lesson. And the title of the psalm in your Bibles, which is not in the original text of the Hebrew Scriptures, it says, glorious things of you are spoken. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. This title actually comes from verse 3 of the psalm, as we will see. And this short psalm is a celebration of the city of Zion or Zion, or the city of God, which is Jerusalem. But we're going to see that although there is a reference to the earthly Jerusalem, this psalm is prophetic, and it is speaking about the heavenly Jerusalem, the city that the apostle John had the vision in the island of Patmos as he wrote the book of Revelation. Zion of Israel becomes Zion, becomes the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the church of God. In Psalm 87, a first reading, as we are about to read, might seem obscure and unimportant. But folks, let me remind you that absolutely nothing in the Scriptures is obscure or unimportant. And do you know why this Psalm is not obscure and unimportant? Because this Psalm is about the church. This Psalm is about God's people. This Psalm speaks about the universality of the church, how the gospel is going and is reaching all the nations. This psalm is also about the celebration that we know the Lord, that we belong to the Lord, and the glorious things that he has done for his people. Ellen Ross notes that as we focus on this passage, the effort to understand the passage is quickly rewarded because it is a theological gem. It's a theological gem. So hear now God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Psalm 87, beginning with the title. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Behold, Philistia, entire with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is the word of the Lord. May he imprint these truths upon our hearts. So we're going to look at this passage under three headings today. First, we're going to look at the city. Then we're going to look at the citizens of the city. And lastly, we're going to look at the celebration. So first, let's look at the city. In the first three verses, the, the psalmist is drawing attention to the features of the city. And he focuses on the importance of the holy city. Look with me on verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. And the word for mount here is in the plural. So we can read on the holy mountains 
stands the city he, God the Father, founded. And the city that God the Father founded was the city of Jerusalem, which is also referred to in the scriptures as Zion, or just city of Zion, or the city of God. But remember that the city was already there. The city was already there in the time of Abraham, and King David conquered the city from the Jebusites, and he made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. And God, in his sovereignty, he chose Jerusalem to be the center of cultic worship in Israel. It was the place where Solomon built the temple. It was the place where God chose to dwell among his people. It was the place appointed by God himself for his people to worship him. And the reason why this mount was considered holy was because God dwelt there. It was not that it was anything special with this mountain. As far as I know, God could have chosen the, the hills and the mountains of Moranch. But the reason why this mount was so holy and precious is because God dwelt there. It was the temple in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies, that God's presence was manifested among his people. Listen to these words of R.C. Pro. Zion is important not because of its size, but because it is the location of the temple, the place of God's special covenant presence. Jerusalem, back in the time, was the place appointed by God where God's people worshipped the only true and living God. And after the temple was built, there was only one designated place for the official worship of God, and that was in Jerusalem. But praise be to God, brothers and sisters, that now we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Now we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth here at CPC today. And many in various churches all throughout the world are now worshiping the God in spirit and in truth. And they don't have to go to Jerusalem. But from the time of David to the time of Christ, Jerusalem was God's city. And God chose to dwell there. And there was a purpose for that choice. Listen to these words of John Calvin. But the end of such a choice was that there might be some fixed place in which the true religion should be preserved and the unity of the faith maintained until the advent of Christ, and from which it might afterwards flow into all the regions of the earth. God's plan was always not only for just one people or one specific city or one specific place. From the beginning of time, we, and as we're going to see in the second point of today's sermon, that the gospel was to flow into all the regions of the earth. That was the plan from the beginning. And we hear this, that although the earthly Jerusalem was the city that God founded, the city of Jerusalem was an earthly shadow of the heavenly realities. The earthly Jerusalem that God founded pointed to the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to these words of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he, this is a remarkable statement, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then the book of Hebrews continues, picking up in verse 13. These all died in faith, and these are referring to Abel, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all these Old Testament saints, they died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having been seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has prepared for them a city. Now, clearly in Hebrews, the city that God prepared was not the earthly Jerusalem. Abraham was not looking for the earthly Jerusalem. The Old Testament saints were not looking for the earthly Jerusalem. They were not looking for an earthly country, but a heavenly one. Listen to these words of James Boyce. The Hebrews chapter makes clear that it was a heavenly city rather than an earthly residence that Abraham was seeking. So we learn at once that even in Old Testament days, the greatest saints did not set their affections on earthly Jerusalem alone, but loved it rather only as a symbol of the greater glories they knew they would enjoy in heaven. Dear Christian, how much are you longing for the glories of heaven? Like Abraham in the Old Testament saints, are you thinking of your heavenly country? How often the thoughts of eternity ponder into our, our minds and our hearts. It's a beautiful reality, a beautiful promise that we have in the scriptures. So we see that God founded the city, not only the earthly Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem. But what else was special about the city? What was so special about Jerusalem? Look with me on verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings, places of Jacob. Why was Mount Zion, where Jerusalem was located, so special? Not because of its size. If you have been to Jerusalem, you know it's not, it's not a big city. Jerusalem was so special because the Lord loves the city. Why does the Lord love us? Why does God love the church? I mean, that's a great question. Look at these words from John Calvin. It was a choice based not on the worth of the place, but the free love of God. If it is demanded why Jerusalem was so highly distinguished, let this short answer be deemed sufficient. Because it so pleased God. Because it so pleased God. Look at Deuteronomy 7. And this is speaking about you, the church, the people of God. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you notice the reason given of why the Lord loves you? Of why the Lord loves his people? Why the Lord loves the church? The reason is because he loved you. But then you ask, why did he love you? And the scripture says, because he loved you. That's the reason given. That's the reason given. God in his 
sovereign love chose to love you with an eternal love. He doesn't give you a reason. He chose you he, to love you, to set you apart as his sons and as his daughters, to set us apart as his people. How does the electing love of God, the electing love of God towards you and his grace towards you, does it amaze you? Does the love of Christ for you amaze you? Remember that the city of Jerusalem is a picture of the church. And Christ loves his church. He died for her. He gave his life for her. And this is one of the reasons why we're reading in verse 3 of the city, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. There are many glorious things, if you look throughout history, that happened in Jerusalem. There are many incredible things that happened there. But just think back of the time of the Lord Jesus. All the miracles he performed, all the teachings, all the sermons. It was the place where the Lord accomplished the work of salvation, your redemption, our redemption, where he was crucified and, and he died. It was also the place where he gloriously ascended into heaven. It was the place where the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost. And it was from Jerusalem that the apostles were sent by Jesus to go into all the earth and preach the good news of the gospel. And thinking back to the time of the psalmist, you can only imagine the types of things that is running through the psalmist's minds as he's meditating and pondering on the glorious things that God had done. Did you notice that the end of each section here of this psalm that we see the word Selah? There is some debate as far as to respect the meaning of the word, but this means usually it's a musical a term that is a technical musical term, which means that we are to pause and to meditate upon the things that we have just read. This means that we are to pause and meditate upon this city. Dear Christian, let me ask you again. Are you longing for heaven? Are you longing for the glories of heaven? Does the electing love of God, that God loves his people, does it amaze you? Does it stir up your hearts? Does the love of Christ amaze you? Does the work of Christ, his work of redemption, amaze you? That he lived a perfect life for you? That he willingly went to the cross because he loved you? How much do we meditate upon the fact that Christ is preparing a place for us in heaven? There are so many glorious things that we can think of, not only that happened, so many glorious things that our Savior and Redeemer did for us and he continues to do. But I think the psalmist has something specific in mind why he says such glorious things about this city. And I think it has to do with the citizens of this city. Let's look into verse 4. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. So the first question we must ask, look at the cities of the city. And did you notice the mention of the peoples here and the nations are mentioned? Rahab is a reference to Egypt. And we know that about the history between the, the Egyptians and the Israelites since the time of the Exodus. They were enemies. They were God's enemies. Babylon... It was the Babylonians that took the Israelites captive for 70 years in Babylon. In 586, where they destroyed the city and the temple. They were also God's enemies. Philistia 
They're near neighbors. Remember Goliath? He was a Philistine. He was from Philistia. And the Philistines were a thorn in the flesh for the Israelites during the time of King David. They were constantly at war. Tyre was located to the north of Israel and had a, a materialistic worldview. All they thought about was commerce and business. And Cush, which is also another name for Ethiopia, which represents the nations that are far away from Jerusalem. It represents the most distant nations. And some of these nations were enemies of God in the Old Testament. They fought against God and God's people. Yet the Lord, as we'll see, makes some remarkable statements about all these nations. Did you notice also they're all Gentile nations? And these nations are not exclusive. Although they're Gentile, they're representative of all Gentiles, of all nations in the world. But look again at what the Lord says about the citizens of these Gentile nations in the beginning of verse 4. Among those who know me. Among those who know me. Among those is a reference to all these nations, all these Gentile nations who are enemies of God. But what kind of knowledge are we talking about? Just a mere intellectual knowledge that there is a God, that God exists, a, a mere historical knowledge? No, it is a, a saving knowledge. Listen to these words of uh, James uh, Boyce. Here it means more than merely admitting that there is such a God as Jehovah or even acknowledging him as the one true God. It means coming to him in a saving relationship, bowing before him and seeking to know him better. Acknowledging the Lord means knowing him personally in a saving relationship. It means to abandon your old beliefs, whatever that might be. Abandon your old beliefs. Before coming to faith in Christ, I was into New Age and all kinds of different possible beliefs that are out there. It means abandoning your old beliefs, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Christ and trusting Christ alone for salvation because the only way to know God those who know me is through Christ. Listen to these words of John 17. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let me ask you a question. Do you know God personally through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son? Do you have saving faith in the Lord? Or do you just have faith in a, just a mere knowledge that God exists? Do you have true faith as confessed in our affirmation today? The Heidelberg Catechism, question 21, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace, love that word, those words, out of sheer grace, earned for us by Christ, not only others, Egyptians, Babylonians, Ethiopians, everyone, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ. And I don't want to start mentioning all the nations here. But think about it. The Lord began preaching in Jerusalem. And he sent out his 12 apostles and his disciples. And look where the gospel has reached. How the gospel has reached people of every single nation, tribe, and language. 
It was the plan of God from the beginning. God gave this promise to Abraham. Listen to these words of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, it's a reference to in the seed of Abraham, who is Christ the Lord, in you, in Christ, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 87 is rooted in the theology that God made with Abraham, that the gospel was to go to all the nations. God promised that through Abraham, he was going to be the father of a multitude of nations. All the families of the earth would be blessed. How would they be blessed? Listen to verses 4, 5, and 6. This one was born there, they say. All these nations, the Egyptians, the Cush, all these were born there. This one in verse 5 and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there, like in Zion. This is a remarkable statement. Remember, all these are Gentile nations. They're enemies of God. It's an astonishing declaration. It's not only remarkable that they're going to be reckoned as citizens of the city, but that they're going to be reckoned as natives of the city. And to make this point emphatic, he, three times he says, this one was born there, or in her, or born there. Now, I have dual citizenship. I am a Brazilian, and I'm a naturalized citizen of the United States. I have two passports. But even though I am a citizen of the United States, I'm not a native from the United States. I was born in Brazil. I was born in Sao Paulo. But pay close attention to what the Lord is saying here. He's saying that all these nations, all these Gentile nations, all these citizens of these nations who know the Lord, you have the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Philistines, Ethiopians, and the people from Tyre, and you, and me, dear Christian, we are not merely naturalized citizens. We are recorded in the registry of God as his very own children, as if we have been born in the city. Look what he says. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. And of course, born there is being used metaphorically. It's a reference to the spiritual birth. It's a reference to being born again. And the reality is that my citizenship is not in Brazil. And your citizenship is not from the place where you're born whatever that country was. Look at the Philippians chapter 3, what Apostle Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on he says in Galatians 4, 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What a remarkable statement that we're not merely naturalized citizens. We are recorded in the registry of God as his very own children. That is why the Apostle Paul says that the Jerusalem above is our mother. Listen to these words of Alan Ross. Citizenship in the eternal city is by faith in the Lord, a faith that transforms the believers, like being born again and obtaining a birthright in the registry. And for those so born into the city of God, the prospects of celebration 
and joy are everlasting. The prospects of celebration and joy are everlasting. Did you notice that at the end of this section of the psalm, we see the word selah again? Which again means that we are to pause and to meditate on the things that we have just read. This means that we are to pause and meditate upon the citizens of the city, of this city. What are we to reflect on? What is this all about? What is this telling about God's people, his sons and his daughters? One commentator said, if it is about anything, it is about the grace that brings in undeserving sinners, outsiders, and blesses them with the privileges of citizenship. And another commentator, Marvin E. Tate, says that the Zion status of the Gentiles is the result of the performative declaration of Yahweh. The psalm suggests, at any rate, by the absence of any requirements of the Gentiles, a massive act of divine grace. If you forget anything that I have said so far or in this sermon, do not forget this. A massive act of divine grace for undeserving sinners. How are we to respond to these glorious things which have been spoken of the city and the citizens? How are we to respond to this great salvation that we have from the Lord, from this massive act of divine grace? With celebration. With celebration. Look with me on verse 7. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Singers and dancers. This is a, a clear reference to celebration, to rejoicing. Now, I don't want you to start dancing and think you can sing, but yeah, we, we can dance. But the people are glad and they rejoice. It's a celebration that we are undeserving sinners. Celebration that we have been redeemed by the Lord, that we have been ransomed by God. Listen to these words of Isaiah 51 as the people are coming back from captivity in Babylon. Uh, that God mentioned here, the Babylon, they're seven years in captivity and they're returning to Jerusalem. And look what it says here. And the ransom of the Lord, you can include yourself in there, shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Everlasting joy. Everlasting gladness. No more sorrow. No more pain. Listen to these words of Revelation 21, this remarkable vision of, that John had. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our destiny. This is what God has 
prepared for us, the glories of heaven that no eye has seen or mind can understand or even comprehend the glorious things that God has prepared for us. And Psalm 87 here is inviting, look what it says here in Revelation 21, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Psalm 87 is inviting us to celebrate the reality of heaven, to celebrate the heavenly Jerusalem, the presence of God himself, to celebrate the church, to celebrate the, the people of God. And God calls us to invite all the nations, all the nations, even our enemies. There's no one who is ever too far away from God. Look at all these enemies that God saved, and there was a beautiful prayer that, that Keith made during the prayer. Even the, our enemies, even God's enemies have been brought, have been saved with this massive act of divine grace. We are to make music. We are to sing. We are to celebrate that we are children of God. Celebrate your salvation in Christ, dear Christian. Celebrate that you're a child of God, that all your sins have been forgiven. Celebrate that we have found this great pearl, this great treasure, God's kingdom. Celebrate that we have eternal life and that we're going to live with our heavenly Father forever and one day we're going to see our Lord face to face. Celebrate that Christ is preparing a place for you, a home for you. I finish with these words from Hebrews 12. But you, dear Christian, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly, or to the church, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Our names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Brothers and sisters, dear Christians, what a glorious things that have been spoken about the heavenly Jerusalem. What glorious things are spoken of heaven, of the citizens of God, of this country, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we have been redeemed and, and ransomed by the Lord, and we are to celebrate. We are to celebrate. We are to rejoice and be glad. And I, I love even the, the, the closing hymn, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand. I am bound. We are bound. We are bound for the promised land. We are bound. We are bound for the promised land. And all of us are going to be, if you're in Christ, friends forever. Friends forever. It's, a, it's an incredible reality that we're going to not only see our, our Lord face to face, but that we're going to be in heaven forever, that our fellowship that we have here is only going to continue forever in heaven. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to seeing all of us together in heaven. It's a beautiful reality, but also those who do not know Christ yet, those who are his enemies, those who God is calling to be part of his people. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful reality. What a beautiful promise.
Amen. Let us pray. Father, truly glorious things are spoken of heaven, of the heavenly Jerusalem. Glorious things are spoken about your works. Glorious things are spoken about you. We give you thanks, Jesus, that not only you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have ransomed us, but also that you are preparing a place for us. You're preparing a place for your people. And all the sufferings, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the disappointments we experience in this world, we know that it cannot compare, as Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, with the glories of the age that is to come. And we give you thanks and we praise you for these incredible promises. We give you thanks and praise you for the glories of the age that is to come. And all the promises that in Christ Jesus, they are yes and they are amen. And it is his name that we pray. Amen.